Welcome to Fanatical Recruitment, a podcast for higher ed admissions, enrollment, and marketing professionals. I'm your host, Mickey Baines. Today we're going to address an important question. And I call it important because it's one of those questions that I receive regularly when I'm traveling for conferences or prospective client or even current client visits. This is a question that is asked frequently. And when a question is asked this frequently, I know it's a good question to put on the show. And here it is. How do we continually train and prepare a relatively inexperienced admissions team for the changing needs of our prospective student pool? And when I say inexperienced, that may be because we have a young staff who are recent college graduates from the past two or three years, or they're just inexperienced because of the number of years they've had and admissions and enrollment management. So how do we keep them on top of all of the changing needs of our prospective students? You know, our, our student pool is constantly changing, whether that's the demographics of your local traditional age students, or if you're working with non-traditional students, maybe it's the age that's changing, or their socioeconomic class is changing. Something is changing, but it's always evolving and adapting. And how do we get our teams prepared to evolve and adapt with them so that they can effectively engage them? The guest for the show today is Carol Mahoney, and Carol is a sales coach who works with sales professionals across the country. She helps them look at their strengths and their weaknesses and use that to apply in their sales methodology so that they can more effectively engage their prospective clients. And we're going to twist that conversation today to look at how we can work with admissions professionals so that they can adapt and evolve their conversations and continually engage their prospective student pool. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to Fanatical Recruitment. I have Carol Mahoney on the line with me today. And Carol and her company do a fantastic job working with salespeople, really helping them reimagine who they are as a salesperson and how they go about a sales process so that they can really improve their performance and their results. I thought Carol would be a great addition to our podcast series as we think about admissions. And now I know in higher education that we don't like to think of our work in admissions as sales, but realistically, we're working and we're trying to help persuade someone to make a decision as long as it's the right fit. That has a lot to do with sales. There's a great book, and Carol, you probably have read it, by Dan Pink, To Sell is Human. Mm-hmm. And you know the point of that book is everything we do, it doesn't matter if you're in IT or if you're just a parent, if you are in sales, everything we do is about persuading other people to take specific actions. And that, in essence, is what yes. sales is, right, Carol? So, Carol, thank you it for is. joining and me today. Thanks for asking me and inviting me. We were having fun even before we started recording, so we'll see if we can have just as much fun on the recording. Let's try um, it. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, let's try it. So it's funny that you also you mentioned Daniel Pink's book. Uh, it's an awesome book. And so one of the things that I love about it is, is that really to sell is human. That kind of says it all for me right there. There's actually another book that I've read that's called Revolutionary Road. It was actually made into a movie, I believe. And with Leonardo DiCaprio and I think Kate Winslet. Really depressing book. I wouldn't recommend reading it. But there is this one line in the book that really sums up what Daniel Pink, I think, was saying in his book as well. That's a sales book, and this is not a sales book. It's the line that uh, a VP of sales was talking to one of his sales managers. And he said, look, everything is selling. Nothing comes into this world, nothing happens in this world until somebody makes a sale. And if you don't believe me, imagine where you would be if your father hadn't sold your mother on the idea. And so 
when we're talking about admissions, um, as much as you may or may not want to admit it, you're in the role of a salesperson because you're the connection between a problem and a solution. There's a student out there who's looking for a particular college experience that has particular aspirations and goals in life, and is trying to decide what direction their life's going to take in the next four years at a particular university. You're the gap between that student and the institution that's right for them. And it may be yours. It may not be yours. Um, and so, yes, absolutely, it's people who are working in admissions are in a sales role. And I might even argue in a very critical sales role, if you think about the state of education today and some people questioning, is a college degree even worth it? I think they have an especially difficult role and one that's nonetheless all that much more important. In my personal opinion. Yes, and and I think everyone listening will agree, right? So, so if I'm an admissions director and I'm overseeing a staff, you know how you know fit is so important. How do I help my staff connect better with the prospective student to find fit? What is the best way to to engage a prospect um, to to find fit? How do we get how do we go about that? So the internet is both a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Because it's become a, a curse in that things move so much faster, there's so much more information that's available out there, and most times if, if admissions directors are facing some of the same challenges that other sales directors and sales people in other industries are, it's that the buyer is much more informed. They already know all of the information that's on your website or what other people are saying about you, and so you have less control over the process. It's a curse in that way, in some ways, but it's a blessing in the way that it is so much easier to make a connection with someone through social media. If you're an admissions director and you're not using Instagram and Facebook, for example, right now, you're insane. Or Snapchat, or I don't even know however many other sort of applications that my teenagers who are going to college are using. Uh, there's ways to connect with those people and understand things like, what type of culture they're into, what type of music they're into, what type of, you know, photography or things that they find important. Like if you're a school that's based in the country, you know, are you, you're going to be looking for students who take lots of pictures of hiking and outdoor activities and things that a college like yours could offer them. So I would, if I was a director, be looking at how active are my admissions people online and actually looking to engage with students and understand sort of where they are and what they're all about and engaging them in the places that they are. Um, I think one of the things that I see that's so frustrating is that uh, we get marketing and sales documentation from colleges that um, it's, it's not available online. It's difficult to use. Uh, there's all types of other different things that make it difficult uh, for us to act. Whereas other, other universities are using other points and mediums of they have an active Facebook page or Instagram and other students are talking about what it's like and we don't have to spend half a day to go there to get an idea of what it's like. Uh, admissions people who are asking us lots of questions about what type of class sizes are we looking for and what's most important to us uh, during the process, both as a parent and student, it comes back down to asking a lot of questions and understanding where they're at. And that as a director, I want to make sure that that's what's happening with my team. So when you're working with a new client, um, a new sales uh, salesperson is coming to you saying, hey, I need help. I want to be a better salesperson. What are some of the things you are asking that person to identify kind of where they are and, and looking at their goals? Uh, so the, you said the first thing right there is I everything is based on a goal. Um, one of the challenges that we have today, especially 
I hate to throw around catchphrases, but especially with millennials, is that you know it's really hard to get them to pin down what their goals are and what they want to achieve. And in a sales situation, goals are important because it is what is motivating us to do something different, to step outside of our comfort zone, to quell that little voice inside of our head that says, now you're being a pest, or you're annoying, or nobody's interested in what you have to sell. Um, how do we use our goals to be able to overcome those kinds of fears and biases? Uh, so goals that are smart goals. So they're specific, they're, uh, they're measurable, so there's metrics assigned to it, whether it's a dollar amount, there's timelines, it's realistic. All of those things are what I call real goals. But even more importantly, it's not, Especially if you're a director and you're, you're talking with your team about what their goals are, it's not necessarily the goals of the university that matter to them. It's their personal goals. So, you know, I want to be able to bring in X number of students. I'm not sure how they're compensated, but maybe they want to do something else. They want a promotion or they want a raise or something that's going to enable them to take more time off. What's the personal reason for them to do more? to attract more students to where they are. Uh, it can be financial, and sometimes it's they just want to be the best admissions person that they can be, and they'll know that they're the best when they're number one as far as bringing in new students, or students who have graduated with full degrees, or whatever criteria it is that they use to measure success with. Uh, some of the other things that we look for are their ability to own <laughs> their outcomes, uh, and so what I mean by that is it's very easy to make excuses of why I'm not able to follow up with this person or get this particular admission in. Uh, it's another type of person altogether that says, you know, I know I could have done that better. I'm just not really sure what. What would you have done if you were me? So we're looking for people who really want to own what it is that they're set out to do. And so, so I know that's what you're looking for. Let's say I have someone, if I'm a admissions director, who maybe isn't quite as accountable as I'd like them to be. How do you have that conversation with someone? You know, I can't, I can't get my calls done. I know I'm supposed to do 25 a day, and I'm only getting 15 done. How do you approach that with someone? Uh, well, so first I would want to make sure that that person has – helped or develop their own sort of individual plan of how they're going to get things done. So is the goal of 50 calls a day something that's been handed down arbitrarily? Or is, you know, the goals and metrics that they're being measured by something that is specific to them? So you'll have some people who are stronger on the phone than others. You'll have other people that are stronger in networking events. Um, I think that your assessments and evaluations of who needs to be helped and coached should definitely come from a place of what is this individual capable of? Uh, what are they best at? Or do we have them doing the right things that they excel at kind of a thing? And then I would also look at, all right, so you had stated in your goals that you wanted to have X number of admissions come in. We both agreed that that was going to require for you to do X, Y, and Z, however many calls, emails, in-person events, whatever the case may be. Um, but those things aren't happening. What are you doing in order to reach that goal? Instead of coming in and saying, this is what you should be doing, and there's a period at the end of everything that you are telling this person to do, you're going to get pushback, you're going to get excuses, asking them, is this still the goal? What are you doing to reach that goal? If you're not doing X, what are you doing instead? And then put the onus on them to give you the answer of what it is that they should be doing and doing next. You're asking it as a question, and you're giving them 
the authority to say this is what I'm going to do next rather than it's, this is being handed down to you, this is the stone from the temple, this is what you shall do and smile and while you're doing it versus the other approach. And I'm going to just wrap it right there because, um, and I know this is short and I hope that we can have Carol back on again in the future, but I think that putting the onus back on them, I think leads to perfect accountability. And, you know, that question that I just asked about how to hold someone accountable, I get from admissions directors around the country. I probably get that once every, at least once every two months. And I mm-hmm. think this is going to be so helpful for them. I'm, as soon as we're ready to publish this, I'm going to be sure and send it right to them so they can hear it from somebody else, especially another <laughs> sales expert here, because asking the questions is the key and letting them give you the answer so they can hold themselves accountable to them, not to someone else. I can't say it any better than that, Carol. That, that's, why, that's why I have Carol on, so that she can give the perfect answer, <laughs> which is what you're doing. Well, you know, try and try again, right? So, yes. Thanks so much for having me, Mickey. Thank you, Carol. You know, I'm struck as I listened back to the interview with Carol. You know, I recorded this with her several months ago. And what I find is the accuracy of the approach it takes to address behavior and how it can truly impact someone's performance. And it's not just people who are performing really poorly. It could be people who just aren't quite at the exceptional range. People who aren't meeting what you see as their capabilities, what you see as their potential. If they're not there, all it takes sometimes is having the same conversation with them. It's a consistent conversation you have with everyone. And I find it time and time again as I sit and work with the potential client or a current client and we look at how the teams are performing and how we can work with the enrollment leadership team to help the enrollment team improve performance and improve conversion and overall really improve new student enrollment, we find this approach is so effective. And sometimes it's just sitting down with the enrollment leaders to help them rethink their conversations they have with their team, whether that's their staff meeting or the one-on-one time or just the daily conversations they have and the questions they ask and the expectations they set, the impact that it can have. Because realistically, what we find with employees, and this, this isn't poor performers, this is the entire team, from those who aren't quite exceptional to those who are just satisfactory or, or those who might be underperforming. But it's understanding as a leader what their capabilities are and then being incredibly clear with the communication and the expectations you set with them and the questions you ask them to help them craft their own path. That's what sets apart the exceptional leaders from the rest of the pack. And those are the ones who typically have the best performing teams. So I hope you found this episode helpful for you and your team. And if you have any questions about how to improve your team's performance, please feel free to reach out to us on our website at kennedyandcompany.com or you can drop me an email at mbaines, B-A-I-N-E-S, at kennedyandcompany.com. We look forward to being in touch with you soon. Enjoy the next episode of Fanatical Recruitment. This is Mickey Baines.